Good morning. How are you? You ever, you ever wake up more tired than you were when you went to bed? Can I sit here? Just sit. <laughs> uh, so, um, we've, been, we've been doing this thing, it's not about you. I was thinking as I was sitting here this morning that, <clears throat> well, this is an old issue, isn't it? I mean, everything that's going on in our world today is the result of people thinking only about themselves. But look at Judas. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, was doing what? He wasn't thinking about God. He wasn't thinking about Jesus. He was thinking about something for himself, about returning the kingdom to the Jews or whatever he was doing. And he made choices as a result of that. And so it's not a new issue. It's an old, old, old issue. And that's sad when you think about it. But I, th- and I, I was thinking also that, that you know, it, it's, it's trials that bring us together, isn't it? When we're going through difficulties, people will gather together in support of each other. And so sometimes I think that bad times are good because it makes us work and rely upon each other as a community. And yet we don't want that. We don't want bad times. We don't want discomfort. How many times have you heard someone say, I'm only hurting myself? You know, my decisions are mine to make, and and if anyone gets in trouble with it, it's me. So leave me alone. But is that really true? I mean, whether it's a good decision or a bad decision, is it really true that it's only affecting you? Well, the choices of Adam and Eve have affected every generation since. None of us have been immune. And yet, I know that when you read the scriptures about that temptation and the succumbing to that, Eve didn't have any concept that what she was doing was going to affect her children and her children's children. I think Adam, and you know the story, Adam, who was with her, he didn't protect her. He didn't say, wait a minute, Eve. He didn't do any of that. He said, I mean, it was like, go, honey, do whatever you want to do. It's all about you anyway. And, and he was with her. He was complicit in what happened. And the thing that gets me the most is that Adam knew the command of God because God gave him the command, not Eve. And he was responsible for telling her, but he didn't. And I think about that. I often think about the struggle with Satan after that. The fact that Eve was going to give birth in pain. And I thought about what, what happened in the relationship between a husband and wife in that first couple that's still affecting us today. And I think it's huge. I don't think we actually understand that. How about David's decision to have an affair with Bathsheba? Did that have far-reaching consequences? Do you think he was thinking about anyone else? Not at all. In fact, he thought he could cover the whole thing up. He thought he could get away with it. Now, aren't you glad that we in our society don't think that way? I've had people 
you know, you know, I mean, I think most of you know I spent years and years counseling. And I'd have people come to me and share, you know, I've done something really stupid. And they tell me, and I go, you're right. It was really stupid. Good assessment. I don't have a DSM-6, I think it is now, to give you a diagnosis of it. Major kooky-doo is not a diagnosis. Stupidity is a, well, we all suffer from that at times. It's not a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of man. But I think about David's decision and, and what it did to his family, what it did to that son that was born that died, what it did to him as the king, and how that reflected on his fathering of his other children. We don't think things through, do we? No, why? Because we think about ourselves. I want. I desire. That's what Eve said. It looks good. It must taste good. <laughs> I know we say that it was an apple, right? And last night I'm watching a program. I, okay, I'm one of these people. I don't like apples. And, and, you know, people say, eat it. It's good for you. Ugh. I hate the texture on my teeth. And, and I'm watching this program, and the guy has an apple, and the guy with him says, you, eat it, it's good for you. And he, he took it and heaved it. And that's what I like to do with apples. So I don't know, if in that situation, and it was an apple, I probably wouldn't have succumbed to the apple. A banana, maybe. But an apple, I don't think so. Am I the only one with quirks? <laughs> All right, well, how about Judas. Judas' betrayal of Jesus. Was that just about him? We don't know much about Judas and his family, but what happened to his kids? What happened to his wife? What happened to his parents? What happened to his brothers and sisters? How would you like to be known as the brother of Judas? You see, one of the problems that happens in our decisions to do what we want to do is that it pushes out shame and guilt on others who haven't even been involved in the decision. But what does this look like in regards to the church, to the body of Christ who have been called? Now think of this. In Matthew, we're called to what? Go. And what do we do? Sit. Seriously. We're to go. And I wonder sometimes about our corporate decision not to do what God has called us to do because we're, we're waiting. I had a friend of mine, I was in a meeting and a friend of mine was saying, well, you know, in, we're going to start discipleship classes at church. And I was like, are you kidding me? He goes, what's wrong? I said, look, I haven't been around church for a lot of years, okay? The first 30 years of my life, I was just out there doing whatever I wanted to do. But here's my thing. I have been around discipleship classes and discipleship classes, and nobody does anything with it. You want to go disciple? Come follow me, and we're going to go out, and we're going to do it. We're going to go to the farm table and have lunch and meet people, or wherever we're going to go. Why? Because discipleship is what Jesus did with his disciples. Come follow me and watch what I do and then you do what I did. Now you go out and do it yourself. That's discipleship. Oh, but I'm not good at talking to people. Huh. You're good at talking about the Steelers or the Penguins or whatever team you follow. Or about your latest hunting expedition or the sale that Grisus is having. 
You're good at that. But you see, it's easy to fall into the trap of selfism. It's about me. How many like to feel uncomfortable? Nobody. Right? Because we don't want to feel uncomfortable. We want to feel comfortable. I talked to my niece yesterday. We were texting back and forth, and she's going through some stuff. And the problem, the biggest issue is, it's making her really, really uncomfortable. And she doesn't like it. Why? Because she's like us. She wants peace and tranquility in her life. Guess what? If God is going to move you from point A to point B, he will often use a burr under your saddle to get you there. Remember, Paul Paul was was kicking against the goads that Christ was putting into his life, trying to get Paul to turn. And finally, Paul wound up on the back, on his back, in the middle of the dirt, looking up at a donkey, probably. Do you want to wind up there? That's what God will do to us. How do I know? I've been there. I wound up on my back because I'm like, oh God, I don't want to do this. And he's going, Bernie, it's not about you. I remember I went to the cross for you. And if you remember, I spent a number of hours in the Garden of Gethsemane in pain and agony before that event. And I said to my father, if it's your will, let it pass before me. Let this cup be gone. And he said, nevertheless, thy will, Father, be done. Because Jesus understood that it wasn't about him. It was about you and me. It was about us. Judas wasn't thinking about that. Judas was thinking about himself and what he wanted. And we do that. I love this. John the Baptist lost his head for speaking out against the sin of Herod. Are you willing to lose your head? I don't hear anyone saying, sure. No, we don't want that. We don't want to put our head out and have it chopped off. We don't want to say something in that situation that we may be finding ourselves in because we don't want to be labeled. Now listen, I get it. There are people out there that I don't, that are, you know, they claim to be followers of Christ, but they are the world's worst testimony. They say they believe, but they don't act like they really believe. But there are others, and I hope it's us, that carry a testimony that demonstrates to people that you really believe. I want your kind of Christ. John the Baptist, if you're familiar with that story, he, was, he told Herod that he was living in sin because he was living with his brother's wife. And, and Herod was all right to, you know, letting it go because he liked John. But Herod's wife did not like John and did not like the accusations, and she schemed a plot that she would get John's head on a platter. Did that stop John? (laughs) No, not at all. Why? Because John served a risen Savior. John understood that what he was doing was far greater in the long run than in the moment. You know, we do tend to be moment-focused, right? (laughs) 
I, last night I had dreams. Man, did I have some dreams. I, they weren't nightmares as such, but they were, they were like terrible. This whole week has been terrible. I had a dream, you know, I'm a state police chaplain. I was telling Tim this, I'm a state police chaplain. And I had a dream the other night. I came in and they said, you're a corporal now. And I went, what? Why are you stupid? Are you crazy? I don't even know how to carry a gun. I don't know what you people do out there. I only work in here. I'm a, you know, oh, don't worry about it. You'll make a good corporal. Huh? I refused. I told that. Here's the beauty of it. I was in the station the other day. I told about 14 guys and women about my dream. I got to share Christ with them about a dream about me becoming a corporal. Here's what I really think. I think that maybe God's telling me I got a promotion coming. At my age, I have no idea what that's going to mean. You know? How many of you want a new promotion? Suppose God gave you something new to do. You see, that's the problem. We're like, oh, wait a minute. I'm really comfortable in my retirement. I'm really comfortable where I'm at. I don't want to go out and do some of the things you're asking me to do. I have a nephew that sent me a a letter the other day, and it's a support letter. He and some others started a new church in Tennessee, and he's looking for support. And I'm like, hmm. Lord, what am I supposed to do with this? See, how many of you like to take extra money out of your pocket and just give it away? We don't want to, we don't like that, do we? I mean, if, if there's a, I saw a new fishing pole the other day, and I thought, ooh, that would be, and it was sold already, it was gone. And I said, ooh, what a great deal. It's easy for me to blow money on things that don't matter, but when it comes to what God wants, am I willing to do that? And I have to remember that this message is not about me. It's about God. You know, Abraham and Sarah, I mentioned them last week, in an attempt to bring about the promise of God had Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of Islam. Do you think that Ishmael has solved the problem in the world? Or created more problems? You see, that's the problem. When we're only thinking of us, we tend to create Ishmael's. And we have little Ishmaels running around throughout our lives. And we wonder, how did I get in this place? You chose it. You chose it. Some of you are sitting here going, yeah, I, I know the Ishmaels I've had in my life. And why, yeah, you could tell a story about that experience. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why did Abraham and Sarah do that? Because they were frustrated. They didn't see the promise of God yet. And so they they thought, well, maybe it's up to us. And we look at them and go, I'd never do that. Yes, we do all the time. How many times have we prayed for something and God says no and we go out and do it anyway? That's an Ishmael. I've, I've done that. I was in Virginia several years ago and I had gone into a thrift store and I saw a nice pair of cowboy boots nice pair and I said I don't need those and I walked out praise the Lord half an hour later I came back and bought them (laughs) and they are in my closet and I've worn them one other time since then but I had to have them 
And I, I know what my wife was saying was probably the same thing God was saying. You don't need them. Do you do that? There are things that I do not do. When I go into Walmart to go to the pharmacy, in Dubois, the pharmacy is in the middle of the store. I don't walk through the men's section to get there. I don't walk through the shoe section. I don't walk through the electronic section. I don't walk through anything other than to the pharmacy and out. Why? Because I'll find something I need. And we create these Ishmaels in our lives. I bought a snowmobile once. A lot of years ago, some of you weren't even born. But I bought a snowmobile, signed the papers. For years, that was an albatross around my neck. And a a commitment to sending money out. I mean, it was probably $20 a month, but I, you know, back in those days. But it was still, we do that. We do that. You see, what you choose to do affects others. Conversely, what you choose not to do affects others. You you know, it it used to be be that people would say, well, you know, I'd ask them about making a decision and they'd go, well, I can't, I won't. Well, that's a decision. Making no decision is still a decision. Doing nothing is as much as doing something. We don't often look at it that way, but that's true. Just because I don't do something, it has eternal consequences as well. Esther, awesome story of Esther, chose to put herself in arm's way to save her people, the Jews. You know, you read that story and Esther immediately was like, Oh, Mordecai, I I don't know about this. And Mordecai really says to her, if you don't do it, God will raise up someone else to. You know that, that if, she, if, if it became possible, she could have been killed because of her request, because of her going to the king. And yet God, in his wisdom, put, put Esther in that place in order to save the people, his people. Listen, doing the things of God are not necessarily easy to do. In hindsight, you may say, well, that was easier than I thought. (laughs) But in the front page, in the front moving forward, it looks like an obstacle, a wall that's impenetrable, that we can't get over it. And God says, go anyway. And, And I really think that in the back of his wording, he's saying, it's not about you. It's about my plan and my purpose. Joseph. Joseph understood the choices of others was actually fulfilling the plan of God. So rather than bring judgment against his brothers, he brought a blessing. You know that story of Joseph? He he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was falsely accused and imprisoned. And then when he, he befriended a couple guys, they left him. They left him. And, and I don't know if I would have been so gracious as Joseph was to his brothers. <clears throat> so, you know, 
Family members, brothers and sisters, can be mean to each other. One of my grand, one of my my daughter's family. There's four boys and one girl. I can remember how they treated their sister. I can remember. The oldest one is a boy, and then she's second. And and the oldest one is perfect. Oh, I hope my daughter's not listening to this today. But she was perfect. He was perfect. He's still perfect. And I know she struggled with that. And you see, the thing is, is that we we do these because we have pecking orders in families. We have pecking orders in society. We have pecking orders in jobs. Why? Because it's about us and we want to feel superior and valued and worth. And we think that we get it because of others. When God says, your value and worth comes from me. I am the one who gives you significance and purpose. That's why people are sitting in nursing homes and in other places going, does anyone remember who I used to be? It's sad. It's sad. This is what James says. So when you're going through problems and difficulties in your life and things are seeming hopeless and helpless... James says, oh, don't worry. When troubles come of any kind, it's a time to sing praises to God. Yeah, right, God. Yeah, sure. Well, this is, he goes on, he says, he says the same thing again. <laughs> but he says, brothers, it's, when troubles come, you're, it's considered an opportunity of great joy. For you know that when your faith is what? Tested. Tested. Your endurance has a chance to grow, and so let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect, complete, needing nothing. I don't know about you, but I I like that verse and I hate it. I have a love relationship with it. And that's because, you know, right? I mean, yes, it's great for someone else. My daughter said to me, yes, uh, uh, Friday, one of my other daughters, I was with her and I, we were just talking, and we were talking about seasonal affective disorder, depression. A lot of people go through depression in the wintertime. And apparently, I said to her last year, get over it, winter stops. That's how she told me I said it. And she said, I was really angry with you. But you were right. It does get, it does get better. And they just... They have a new house. They, had, they bought a house uh, next to where they lived. They completely renovated it. Just took out walls and opened it up and put windows in. And as I'm sitting in there, I, it's bright. And I said, you know, this is one of the things you've needed. And she goes, yeah, I, I, I know, Dad. I know. But you see, when we're in the midst of it, we don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear things like James is saying that this is a good thing for you because from this you're going to grow and be tested and you're going to learn what you have in your life and whether or not you want more. Praying for patience. What will happen? You'll have the opportunity to practice it. How's that working for you? Yeah, well, it doesn't. So, 
when you think about life, we're in a culture that really everything about our culture says it's about us. About what we need, what will make us happy. But God says that that's not the thing. God says, trust me. God says, follow me. And where he calls us to follow is not necessarily easy. I was looking in Hebrews 11, the Christian hall of fame, some of whom who never saw the promises of God, yet they served him anyway. Read through that. One of the verses says, they were sawed in two. And they didn't have power saws back in those days. Hand saws. I mean, oh, wouldn't that hurt? I've gone through a berry bush patch and that hurt. I mean, if that hurt, can you imagine what a hand saw is going to feel like going across your midsection? And yet, they believed. And yet, they still looked to God, looked to the one who is the author and finisher of their faith, and they trusted him regardless of what their experience was. And you see, that's what God is asking of us. That is what God is asking of us to be to the world. Why? Because the world is going through some tough stuff. Your gas prices over here are 10 cents more than they are where I live. And I thought about it, maybe I ought to drive, if I lived here, I ought to drive over there and get gas, except it would cost me more than what I'm saving. How many are being affected by the prices of stuff today? Gas, food. But all of you got an increase in your social security and and an increase in your job wages, right? I mean, you, you got all that, didn't you? I mean... Didn't someone tell you that it's okay because we're going to make it all right for you? No. But here's the deal. You and I have a hope that's above and beyond the economy. And that hope that we have needs to be shared with those who are really struggling, who have no hope. We need to understand that even though this is happening to us, it's not about us. Because it's putting us in a position that we can share with others what our hope is really in. And it's not a president, it's not a congress, it's not a sentence, whatever they are. So, what would happen if we started to ask, is this happening for me or to me? What would happen if we started to look at life's events, all of them, Is this happening to me or for me? You see, how we look at things, whether we look at things from the position of a victim to which we have no power over, or as a victor, one who has power in the situation. Remember Daniel in the lion's den? Daniel in the fiery furnace? What did he say about his God? Even if I die, he is my God. I will not forsake him because he will not forsake me. Even in the midst of that. And what did the king do? 
Remember when David, when Daniel was in the lion's den, the king worried all night long of what was going to happen to his Daniel. He came running down first light to see where Daniel was. And I think he praised God that Daniel was still alive, petting the lion. I can't help but believe that Daniel in some way said, Nebuchadnezzar, this is not about me. This is for you. This is so you know that my God is able. And I think we have a great opportunity in our, in our day to tell people that this is not the problem. What we are experiencing in our culture is not the problem. It is a spiritual issue. I don't know, it seems to me I've heard somewhere that God said, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and seek my face and pray, and then I will what? Heal their land. Oh, but, but I go to church. And I think God says, it's not going, it's being. I'm glad you come together in fellowship to encourage each other while you're being me out there. And so we need to be asking ourselves, is this happening for me or to me? Because if it's happening for me, then I have a response in it. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's not without difficulties. I have, you have probably yourself, go-to responses when things happen. I think a typical response sometimes in my life is, at least in my thinking, I can't, when, when an obstacle comes, I go, I can't do that. I immediately go, I can't. And for me, God's saying, I didn't ask whether or not you could or couldn't. I'm asking you to do it. And God and I have tug of wars. But here's, here's what I want to leave you with. Maybe it's happening so others can see Jesus. Maybe what you're going through as individuals, maybe what we're going through as a body of believers, as a community, is happening so, the, so that people can see Jesus. Why? Because in some people's lives, we're the only gospel that they're going to hear. And, and we get caught up in us We get caught up in our own discomfort. We get caught up in our own trials and struggles. And I think God is saying, get over yourself. I I have you here for such a time as to be the gospel in someone's life. You may be the only gospel. I shared last week that there was a man by the name of Lester Roloff. That when I was before Christ, I saw him go to jail on nightly news. He was going to jail. He had a big black Bible. And he was going to jail because he was being accused of violating the children and youth laws of the state of Texas. And he was telling, I am doing what God has asked me to do. And I was so impressed. I've never heard anyone do that before. And because of his stance... That witness worked in my heart as part of what brought me to the place of surrender to Christ. 
And you don't realize what your testimony out there is doing to the people around you. Chuck Colson told the story of being in Nairobi at the airport. Air conditioning wasn't working. It was hot. And the plane that he was to be on was canceled. Unbeknownst to him, there was a man who knew who he was and was watching for his response. And because Chuck Colson's response was godly, with patience and endurance, this man eventually came to Christ and came to Colson a number of years later and told him the story and said, it was because of you and I realized that you really believed. See, you don't know. You don't know what your life is, is doing to someone else's life. What you are doing isn't just about you. It affects others. As sin affects others, so do blessings affect others. And we are the ones who are to be pouring out the blessings. Let's pray. Father, as we conclude, Father, help us to understand in these situations that we may find ourselves in tough places. We may find ourselves in places that are difficult. But it's not new for you. It's not new for the saints of old, for many have found them pla- themselves in those places. But you have given us a command. You have given us a word. You have given us a direction that says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all the other things will be taken care of. Help us, Father, to walk in that in a way that glorifies you and puts you above us so that people see Jesus in us. In Jesus' name, amen. You stand. Just a-